0: Whatever it is that we are going through, whatever it is that we face, this song reminds us that we do not face it alone. Whatever we think we've been through this week, what we don't know is how much you have held back from us, from Satan who wants to storm our life, and Scripture says that were it not for God, we would be overwhelmed. And we fail sometimes in the midst of what we're going through to recognize your Holy Spirit that is fighting back the battles that come against us. And then you have promised in whatever it is we are going through that you are with us. Your Holy Spirit is with us, giving us power to be more than conquerors through Christ. And so I pray for somebody going through a battle right now. May they be encouraged today, God. May they be blessed by being in your presence today, by being in your house and being around brothers and sisters in Christ. Now teach us from your word. We want to learn. We want to learn what your word has to say to us. So we just just open ourselves up to you fully, completely speak and we'll listen. You speak and we will obey. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Y'all doing all right this week? Say yes. If you think you're not having a good week, come see me and I'll take you to somebody that's been through something a lot worse than what you went through this week. Um, just before I get started, so uh, no time in yet, but uh, just want to mention a reminder. In fact, in your, uh, in your bulletin day, you found a couple invite cards in there. These are not just to look pretty, they are for you to use. Um, one day we will stand before God in heaven, and what I hope that we are about as a church, and what I hope I am about as a pastor is to prepare you to stand before him face to face and that all of you will hear the words, every one of us will hear the words, come on, finish it for me. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. One is what have you done with his son Christ? Um, What have you done with the gifts that he's given to you? And who have you brought with you on the journey? So uh, this uh, date, April the 5th, uh, this invite card simply says, would you be my one it's for you to, to give to somebody, to use, to invite. Let me just tell you how I do this. First of all, if you just go up, like, if you just meet somebody, like everybody that we meet right now, just about in Kokomo, um, that's outside of the church, we don't know them, we don't have a whole lot of outside friends yet, so I don't just go up and meet somebody and go, hey, will you be my one? And they're like, no, you can just turn around, big boy, because I don't even like you, all right? But what I try to do is build relationships. So this week I was with somebody and we went to lunch and we came out in the parking lot. It was like that day that it snowed and it was like really bitter cold. And so being the wise men that we were, we stood out in the cold for another 15 minutes and talked. And I got in the car and I was like shivering. um, And I I looked across like down the street just a little bit and I I saw this vision from God just opened up. And it was one of those portable coffee things. You know what I'm talking about? They pulled behind like a truck and they pulled it into like a parking lot and it just called out my name. Has coffee ever called out your name? Come on. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that it was the Lord telling me I needed some hot beverage to warm me up on a cold day. So I drove in there and as I turned around and went through the drive-thru window and I gave my order, um, while I'm waiting on the coffee, I started a dialogue with the person and they found out they're one of the owners of it and... We just started, you know, started having a conversation. Where you, where, how do I know where you are each day so I can come back? And so we started this dialogue. And, and then they're like, uh, you know, wh- what do you do? And, and I'm almost hesitant sometimes to tell people what I do. I'm just, you know, because I don't, sometimes people get turned off. And uh, so I said, I'm a counselor. <laughs> no, I didn't. I said, I'm the pastor of Kokomo First Church of Nazarene down the street. In fact, I said, why don't you just bring that coffee truck on down sometime, park it in our lot, right? And uh, maybe on a Sunday morning. But anyway, um, so just started. Well, by the time it was done, they're like giving me their card, and, and we're talking, and we're laughing. And what happened is it just broke down some barriers, some walls. So I'll go back there this week, and I'll get another coffee, and I'll just take it a little step further. And here's what I know. I don't try to force it. I don't go in with like, oh, I'm pastor said, I got to do, I'm the pastor, I got to get some. No, no, I just do it naturally, organically. And at some point, the Holy Spirit will open a door. This happens so many times. Okay, you're not timing me yet, right? Okay. Can I tell you a, a two-minute story? Well, it doesn't matter what you say, I'm going to tell it anyway. So, um, one time I got invited i was I was hanging around with some guys, and we went duck hunting. Do any duck hunters out there? okay, obviously not um, so we, I, I went just to build relationships so long story short, we got invited to another like it 's like a like guys pay like gazillions of dollars these companies to go to these blinds, and we got invited to to go free and so we 're there, and they had this uh, have anybody ever been to a crawfish boil? am I getting Okay, hey, listen, down south, they're really big. Okay, and um, so we got invited, and, and when we got there, it's like, it's like me and my friend, who, he was a Christian, and then it was like filthy, 50, not filthy, 50. Well, okay, I'll say it this way. 50, filthy, stinking, rotten sinners. You know what I'm saying? So when I got out, they didn't know who I was, but they were using words I ain't never heard before, right? Now, you in Kokomo, you probably know all these words. I didn't know all of them. And uh, so we're sitting around, and everything's fine, they're drinking, they're doing all this stuff, and they throw this crawfish boil on a table, like on newspaper, they just lay it out, you just go up and grab it, and oh yeah, getting blessed, and so uh, we're, we're doing this, and I, I just tell you, I'm just a little nervous, because I'm around guys that are in a different, they're in like a different part of the world, or come from than me, and, and so um, we're sitting there, one guy, he introduced himself, he just got out of jail, and, uh, so everything he said, I said, yes, sir. And, and then another guy, uh, you know, somewhere anyway we're talking all these. And then they, one guy goes, well, what do you do? <laughs> I'm a preacher. <laughs> and, uh, and then it was like, it was like it got real quiet. You know what I'm saying? And I felt like I was totally out of place and I just wanted to leave. And I thought, Lord, what, what have you done? Honest to truth. Here's what. I go, to the, I go get my stuff, I go over to a picnic table way far away from everybody else. And I was like, the Lord said, what are you doing? Why don't you get on over there to that other table all those guys are? No, Lord is, I'm scared of them. They're like, you know, they're pretty mean, been in prison. So I'm sitting there, and then this big guy um, comes over, sits down across from me, and uh, here's what he said. Are you a preacher? Yes sir. <laughs> this is what happened. He said I'm getting ready to go to jail, prison. Told me what he had done. And he said, "I'm scared, preacher." Would you pray for me? Like right now, <laughs> yeah, right now, and uh, I'm sitting there. He reaches over and puts his hand on top of mine, and we prayed. And all these other men are over there doing their thing, and they're watching. And then we got done. He talked a little bit. I told him I pray for him. I said if I can come visit you, let, you know, let me know. He got up, went over. Somebody else came over and sat down. He said, you're a preacher? Yeah. He said, I just got out of prison. But he said, my relationship with my wife, I don't even know if she wants me back. My kids won't even talk to me. And he starts crying. Would you pray with me? Yeah, I would. And we prayed. And I walked out of that place and I realized that God put me and used me in a place that I didn't want to be, and there were people that I never thought would have been open to the gospel of Christ or even a little invitation, and I was totally blown away. And since then, it's given me profound boldness um, to just open up and begin relationships with people that are far from God. And so I just want to challenge you. I'll deduct some stuff off my message because I want a over two minutes. But um, So here's an invitation. Just put it in your car, and and you don't even have to, like, force it. Just say, God, you open up a door. Give me a possibility, and if you open a door, I'll build a relationship with somebody, or I'll, I'll walk through a door, or when you tell me, I'll invite somebody. Or there may be somebody, some of you are not like me. You already have a bunch of friends in this town, right? You already have kind of fertilized the ground and tilled the soil, and they're ready for a seed to be planted. And, uh, you know, as we've said before, most people don't come when they were asked, why don't you come to church? It's because nobody ever asked them. And I've had nobody yet to come up to me since we started doing this. I've had a lot of people tell me, hey, I got, somebody told me this week, I got four people coming. And somebody else said, hey, I got, I I invited somebody. They came already. They weren't supposed to come until April 5th. They've been here already. And, uh, but I got somebody else I'm going to invite. But I've had yet anybody tell me, you know what, preacher, I went up to somebody this week, invited them to come, and they slapped me in the face. (laughs) It just hasn't happened. And so, would you, let me me just say this, and your answer is going to be just quiet or yes. Quiet or yes. Will you this week at least pray and say to God, if you open a door, I will be obedient? All right, six of us. Thank you. All right, here we go. Uh, Start your Bibles. uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 21, we're going to be in today. We're going to talk about the worst marriage in the Bible. Maybe you're here today and you think you got a bad marriage. You're going to walk away today after this is over and you're going to go, baby, we got it good. All right? So uh, we're going to look today in 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to talk about a guy named King Ahab who was a strong military leader. But he was passive at home. He's strong. He did a lot. In fact, he, re, he gained more territory than any other king in the history except for Solomon. Even more than David. But when it came to home, he was very passive or he was controlled. And uh, he is under the influence of a woman named Jezebel. Uh, you don't want to name your kid Jezebel. And after today, you're going to find out why. And he allowed this very evil practices... Um, led by the controlling nature of his wife Jezebel, and he led the people away from God. In fact, he did more evil than any other king that ever existed. But here's the deal. He did not do it alone. He was controlled by an evil wife. And we pick up in verse 25, and and then we're going to go back and unpack the chapter. But in verse 25, here's what it says. No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab under the influence of his wife Jezebel. And so Ahab and Jezebel, they reveal two things that kind of destroy a marriage. And you see these common problems in marriage. Abraham, Abraham. Um, Ahab represents a very passive husband, very controlled husband. Now let me just pause and say we're going to talk about a marriage today but we're talking about, more importantly, relationships. And everything I'm going to say today, so if I'm talking about um, Ahab the man or I'm talking about Jezebel the wife, you can flip those around in the marriage and, and the principles are the same that we're going to talk about. If you're not married, you can talk about these in your relationships with your mom, with your dad. You can talk about relationships with your friends. All of these work together. And so Jezebel is this controlling wife. He's controlled. He's passive. She's domineering. She's controlling. She's controlling. Abraham, uh, I want to preach on Abraham today too. Uh, That was a week or two ago. Ahab is, uh, represents a neglected heart. He didn't pay attention to his heart, so his heart drifted. Jezebel represents an evil, carnal heart. We're not going to get into it today, but maybe sometime down the road I'll talk about a Jezebel spirit that is prominent in a lot of churches across the country that um, are controlled by people that want their way, they're domineering, they force their way, they do all kind of ugly stuff within the church to bring division, they gossip, it is a Jezebel spirit, and a lot of times that spirit works its way into relationships, we'll talk about that down the road, but I want to talk about first of all this controlled person, this passive person, this in this case a controlled passive husband, he neglected his heart. He didn't pay attention to his heart. And Ahab has this neighbor named Naboth. Probably don't want to name your kid that either. And Naboth has this vineyard that Ahab wants. And he thought, man, I have always wanted a vineyard like that. And this is kind of humorous because you're thinking you're the king, you got everything, and you're looking at you're looking at a vineyard, and you like want to you, you like want to get a vineyard. But here's what it says in verse two. Ahab said to Naboth. Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden. So it's close to my palace, or since it's close to my palace. Now, I don't know why he wanted a vineyard. He's king. He's got everything. In fact, he had vineyards. He had all of the resources at his disposable, but what you'll notice was he had his eye on his neighbor. He was watching his neighbor. He had everything there was, but his eye is on his neighbor, and he's coveting the things that his neighbor had, And the more he coveted the things that his neighbor had, the less he enjoyed the things that that he had. Now, that's not the message today, but it is the message for some of you. you. You don't enjoy the blessings that God has given to you because your eyes are always on somebody else and what they got. And look at that house they're in, and look at that car they're driving, and look at that job they got, and look at that relationship they got. And you're always looking at something else, and you don't enjoy the things God has already given you. And so it goes on to say, in exchange, Ahab said, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. No, and that's a, we don't understand the culture of that, I don't have time to get into that today, but it means more than just that. It's, a, it, it's the heritage, it's the, the things that were important to them, he can't give those up. So Ahab went home, so he got got shut down by Naboth, you can't have what's mine. So he goes home, and he crawls in bed, and he's whining like a baby, and his wife comes home and sees him as he lays in bed sulking, and he even refuses to eat. He didn't get what he wanted, and so here's this guy, this king, who runs home crying to his wife, And there are some men that will abdicate their role as a leader in the home and they'll become passive and they'll allow their spouse to pick up and do what they're unwilling to do, even though that's not what maybe God's called them to do. They'll just passive. And then let's talk about the controlling wife, because I'm talking about the passive husband and controlling wife, but this is just, you can take the wife or husband away and just put in relationship or put in a name there. So in verse 5, Jezebel says, came in and asked, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He said, because I said to Naboth, the Israelites, this is my interpretation. Sell me your vineyard, please. You know, like whining. But he said, I won't do it. I'm not giving you my vineyard. I can't have my vegetable garden. So he's whining to his wife. Now watch what his wife does, the control freak. She, she says, is this how you act as king over Israel? You know, translation, big old girly crybaby boy. Come on, get up, eat, cheer up. I'll get you, I'll get you the vineyard. I'll do what you aren't even able to do. You can't do it, so I'll do it. And ladies, I'll tell you something you know, but we don't like to admit, and that is that most of us men, most of us are very insecure in our lives. We often pretend like we're not. We often mask that by trying to be domineering or whatever. We're stronger on the outside than we really are on the inside. That's why God looked down and said, it's not good for a man to live alone, right? Right? <laughs> Because like he'll lose his keys, he won't ask for directions, he'll put on the wrong clothes. You know, not, God said this would not be a good thing. So uh, God gives to him what is called a helpmate. Now some women will get insulted by this, but this is such a huge deal and such an important role. Because the wife, and again you can switch this, but the wife is necessary in helping the husband be all that he can be all that God wants him to be. And the opposite is true. The the husband is there. He's necessary to help the woman become all that he can be for God's glory. God gave you a spouse, if you have a spouse, now put this in a relationship, just a friendship, or a mom or a dad, whatever it is, God gave you someone else so that together you would be better than you would be by yourself. And here is the key. By the way you treat your spouse, I'm going to use a word and then I'm going to explain it. By the way you treat your spouse, you can take a spouse who is weak and you can help that spouse become a stronger person of God. Or you can take a spouse that is weak, or a better translation would be weakened, and I'll explain that in a minute. You can take a spouse who has been weakened and you can make them even more weak and become even a failure in their eyes. But a controlling spouse, whether you're a husband or a wife, a controlling spouse will always make the other spouse weaker. And Jezebel did a couple things that make us weak even today if we do this. So whether you're a husband and you do these things, it makes your wife weaker. Or if you're a wife and you do these to your husband, it makes him a weaker man. Or if you have a friendship, a relationship, your relationship with your mom or dad, your relationship with someone else, if you do these things, it weakens the relationship. And the first thing that Jezebel did was she belittles her husband with her words. She cuts him down by the things that come out of her mouth about him. So in verse 7, she says, is this how you act as king over Israel, you worthless little man? Come on, because that's what, what he heard. Proverbs says there is power, there is the power of life or of death in the words that we say. We can bring life to somebody, we can lift them up with the things we say, or we can bring death into their life. And I'll just say this, she was not here in the first service, and in the first service, um, I, was not, um, I was not on my A game in the first service. Let me just say it, or let me put it this way. I was not all I could have been in the first service, because in the first service, there was an empty spot sitting down here in the front row. It's not that she just stayed at home, it's just that she decided, hey, I want to I grow, I want to be discipled. So she went to a class during the first hour, because though she's been at this a long time, and we have been in ministry a long time, she wants to continue to grow, so she went to a class this morning, which was great. The bad thing was, there was a part of me that felt empty today. Somebody say, I understand. I wasn't, I wasn't all I could have been this morning because there was a part of me that wasn't here because um, uh, I would be less than, I'll just say it this way, I, and I said it in the first service, even though she wasn't here, so I'm just, just not just because she's here. I would be less than half the man I am today if it weren't for Vicki in my life. She makes me better than I am alone. Some of you are married to somebody that makes you much Better than you are because God put them in your life to raise you up and make you better than you are. I mean, all of you knew that about Vicki, right? That's why you voted for me. You didn't really vote for me. You voted for her. Because, listen, and I, I know this is not this is not you. This is just me. And is it all right if I just be me this morning? There, There are a lot of times that this guy that stands up here that, um, you know, you may look and think, oh, he's got all together. Listen, often I feel very inadequate. The first Sunday, I, I may have mentioned this, the first Sunday that I was here, I came in about 5.45 and I walked into this place and I walked through every seat, touched every seat and prayed for everybody that would be on that place that day. And then I sat back there and I went up on the back and I prayed and then I came up here And as I came up here and looked out, there was this voice that showed up, and the voice said, who do you think you are? You are so inadequate. And this voice was just ripping me apart because I have often felt inadequate, and I have often listened to that voice. (laughs) But aren't you thankful for another voice? (laughs) Man, I was listening, you know, because I've learned if I'll just quiet my spirit because it says the Holy Spirit speaks in a whisper. And then I heard the Holy Spirit saying, I have ordained your steps. You are where I want you to be. You have a message that I will give you to say. You have a ministry of which I have called you. You have to listen to the voice. See, but I've been blessed with a wife who I'll be speaking and sometimes I'll go down and, and, and even before the service is over, she'll reach over, and maybe squeeze my hand or you know, she'll say, she'll, she'll say, you did a great job today. You're an awesome leader. Sometimes as we're hugging goodbye, she'll kiss me on the cheek or if we pray together and she'll say, I'm, I know God's gonna use you today. You're a great leader. You're more handsome than Brad Pitt. (laughs) Now listen, either she is a great encourager or the world's best liar, right? But all I know is every time I hear that, come on, stay with me. It lifts me up. It's like it makes me better than I am so much often that there are times that I feel like when I leave or I'm around that encouragement, I just feel like I'm heading to the office let me charge, let's just get the staff together and we're gonna charge hell with a water pistol today. Because that's what encouragement does. But too often, a wife will run down her husband in front of her friends. He makes me so mad, he's so lazy. Never does any- he, he never does anything, he's just no good. it all right if I meddle for a little bit. Well, it doesn't matter, I'm a medal anyway, all right? I'll just say this, if you open your mouth, man or woman, if you open your mouth with negative words about your spouse to your family or your friends, your children, your mom, your dad, you are a fool. Now, I'm being bold like that because I can be bold if I know Scripture says it. So in Proverbs 14.1, it says, A wise man or wise woman strengthens her family, strengthens his family, but a fool destroys their family with the words they say. One thing we've done well in our marriage, I I think we've done several things well, but uh, one thing that I think we've done well is from the day that we got married, to the best of my knowledge, we have never, ever, ever whined to our parents about each other. The first month we're married, we got into some nasty, low-down, name-calling fight. You know what I'm saying? That was her, it wasn't me, it was her. and. you know, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, who is this person I married? You know what I'm saying? And, um, but we never, ever called mom or dad on the phone and said something negative about our spouse to our families. And my mom and my dad went to their graves, never hearing from my lips a negative word about Vicky. And as far as I know, unless there was this secret thing going on, uh, Vicky's dad is in heaven today without ever hearing a negative word about me, and her mom lives with us now, and, and, and in a couple of weeks we'll be coming up here to live with us again. Pray for me and. Uh, I have a good mother-in-law. And she loves me. And the reason she loves me is she has never heard this woman say negative things about me to her. Uh, and, And here's the reason this is so huge. Because once you and Sweetie Pie make up, right? Like you're all in this nasty fight. Like if you're ready to like throw knives in his back, just take him out and send him to see Jesus. And then he says those two words that just change everything, right? Bring down all the walls. I'm sorry. And then you're running. You're like, oh baby, baby, I love you, right? You get that all fixed and that all works out and then you're like all back together again. But what happens is the words that you have said to mom or to dad or to some friend or some other relative or to your child, God forbid you ever do that. Those things never get made up. Those things never get healed. And what happens is now there's resentment placed between your spouse and whoever it was that you vent. I'm preaching really good right now. It's this resentment that gets built up and walls go up. That's why you got mother-in-laws that don't like their son-in-law and why you got in-laws that don't like the outlaws. It's because all this stuff gets said and it never gets healed. And I'll just, you know, I'll just say, Stop sharing every problem you have with your spouse, with your mommy, and your daddy, and everybody else that will hear you. Grow up. Fix the relationship. Understand that's life, but stop destroying the foundation of relationships in your life. I mean, this goes for all of our relationships. Don't be a destroyer. Be a healer. Jesus, you know what Jesus said? Go to Matthew 18 and read what Jesus had to say about this. Jesus said, you shut up and you don't talk to anybody else except the other person. And if there's conflict, you go to that person and you work it out and you don't tell anybody else. Now, that's Jesus, not me. A godly woman can make a weak man or a weakened man stronger. You you can take, I don't care, you know, and I don't even have time today to get in why we have been weakened. Many of you have been weakened because of your family, your environment. You had a mom or a dad that was a controller, and you grew up in that environment, and you got hurt by it, or you got abused, and, and, and you're carrying the weight of that. So you, you are the weakened one. Are you with me? You're weakened by life, and, and you can take by your words your spouse who has been weakened, and you can lift them up and make them strong. That's what a godly man or a godly woman will do. But a controlling man or a controlling woman, especially by their words, can take someone that has been weakened and you can literally destroy them. And Ladies, I don't want to harp on this too much, but let me say, there is no man that has ever crawled out from the constant complaining of his wife that became a better man. So even if what you say is true, your role is to build up you build up your husband, you build up your wife. All right, you didn't like that one, so let's go to the second one. The second one is uh, she takes over. So Jezebel just simply takes over. If you look in verse seven, she's like, all right, you pathetic excuse for a husband, you loser. You can't do it. I'll get the vineyard of Naboth. I'll go do what you can't do. And I'll just, let me just talk to ladies for a second, and then I'll talk to the, to the men. But if you always control and take over, every time the husband doesn't do something the way you think he should do it, what you will do is you will condition him to advocate his roles and he will eventually do nothing. Now, I, I realize sometimes there's a guy that doesn't do anything. I realize there's sometimes a guy um, that for whatever reasons, he just is, he is just so passive that he does literally nothing. And often, uh, you know, I I, I get that. So this is not for every context, but generally, often it is a series of little things over and over and over again that cause a man to become passive or cause a woman to become passive. So let me just talk, ma'am. Maybe he tries to dress the kids on his own. Like you had, like these two little kids, you've been dressing your whole life and you gave him the look one day. Like, you know what I mean? The look. Like really, you can't get up off the couch and help me get these kids dressed, and so he's been married to you several years, so now he's picked up on that, he decides to dress the kids, and uh, it's the first time he ever did it, and let me just say, the first time a man ever does anything, it's going to be wrong, all Right. so you got to have lots of grace, we never match things, the hair isn't going to look right, you know, we're going to get up, and we're going to have the wrong outfit, you know, it's going to be like plaid shirt, striped pants, uh, socks that don't even match. Bow in the hair, and you're going to look at that little boy and the girl and go, Honey, I don't think Johnny should have a bow in his hair going to school, right? It's just going to be bad the first time he does it. But if he does something, and then you go in and you're like, Oh, you pathetic thing, I knew you'd do it wrong, you didn't mash, you didn't do anything, the hair is not done right, you redo it all. Um, Guess what you did? You degraded him and you lowered his self-esteem, and over time you eventually take control, and he just abdicates that to you, and he just gives up. He folds the laundry and he doesn't fold it, you know, like he folds it like in half. Like, you know, he gets it and folds it in half. And then you're like, oh, you foolish man. It has to be a trifold in our house, you know. Um, Or he trifolds and then you're like, come on, I watched Fixer Upper and she rolls the towels. You have to roll the towels, all right. Or maybe he vacuums, but that, which would be a miracle in and of itself, right. But he's not vacuuming like the way you would do it and the lines aren't like perfect. And so you jump in and you're like, let me show you how to do it, stupid. Um, you know, well, he's probably done vacuuming. Is this making sense? I mean, he, he, he won't, you know, he, he is going to discipline the children. But, but if he doesn't discipline the children, maybe it's because the last 10 times you interfered while he was trying to do that. Because he wasn't doing it the way you would do it. He didn't do it right. So eventually he just gives up. So what do you do, ladies? Because there are many women that are not controlling, and they're trying their best, and they're simply with a very passive guy. They're, they're, they're just, you know, some women get, they're just in that position. Or, you know, we can switch around the roles, but typically it happens this way. Well, there's a couple of things. I acknowledge the complexities of this, but here's a couple of things you can do if you're in that situation. And someone came, and we had the altars full at the end of the first service, and there was one lady crying, and, and this is... This is where she was, and she said, this helped me in a battle I've been carrying for a long, long time. Here's the first one. You ask God to help you love him, faults and all, without taking control. Now, this is the hard part, because I don't want to take over But if he's not going to do it the way I want it, I'm I'm going to have to step in and take over. And so now you're going to pray, God, help me to love him, faults and all, because he has faults just like you have faults. We all have faults, right? Don't look at anybody, just look up here. We all have faults. We tend not to see the other person's faults. Jesus talked about a speck and a plank, right? We tend not to see the other person's fault, but he will never you know, he will never be your perfect man. She will never be your perfect wife. And so you have to pray that God will help you to love him or love her, faults and all. And then the second thing is you pray for him every day or you pray for her every day and then stay out of the way. Don't try to be controlling. Let God do what you can't do. Let God begin to do a work in the heart, softening a hardened heart, working, convicting. You you don't try to make him what you want to be. You pray and you let God do a work. Now, um, I know we probably just lost most of the women there on that. So let me deal with the men for a minute. This will wake the women back up, right? So men, maybe the reason Jezebel felt like she had to take control or take over is because he hadn't done anything for a long, long time. Ahab, if you read the passages, if you understand the context, he's not really been leading like he was supposed to have led. He was a great warrior, and uh, he conquered a lot of things. In fact, the second greatest king as far as conquering people and conquering territory, and that's a whole different message, but you can have a Jezebel spirit in you even if you have accomplished great things. And I I just want to say to our men, you have the God-given responsibility to lead. It's not a thing of power, it's a thing of position. God's ordained you to lead your family. And here's three ways that God has called you to lead. So now I'm just going to talk to the men. So I've upset the women, let me upset the men, okay? First one is you have to lead as the provider in your home. Now that doesn't mean that she has to be barefoot and pregnant or she doesn't work. I mean, she can be a financial contributor. She can be a part of it. She can make more than you, praise God. Doesn't mean you it doesn't mean you have to balance the checkbook when she's much better at it. In fact, for many of you, the worst thing you could do is touch the checkbook, right? Like I was working with a couple one time years ago, and we're going back and forth on their problems that led, you know, their problems all centered around financial issues. And then I asked the question, well, who balances the checkbook? And he said, what's that mean? <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that means, you know, you kind of look at what the bank says you have, and you look at reconcile the checks that are out, and you just make sure it lines up. And I go, you don't do that? And he goes, well, no. I go, how do you, how do you balance your, your book? He said, well, we, I, we, just look at, uh, we just look at the bank statement every month when it comes in the mail, and it tells us what our balance is, and then we just write that down and start over. Okay, you're too stupid to be married, all right? Um, that wasn't in my notes. See, you, if if she's better, you let her do things. If he's better, you let him do things. But it does mean that you'll be a leader in your home. You'll lead your home, and you will say, "Our home will be a godly home." You, you lead in your home, and you say, oh, "We're going to lead you to." Ch- I'm going to lead you to church. And I am talking to the men right now because studies show that that uh, kids that go to church on their own, and once they get in other words, mom and dad don't go. And then once they get out of high school, there's only 10% of those that end up staying connected to the church. If mom goes with the kids, there's like a 20 or 25% chance that once the kid gets out of high school, they'll stay connected to church. But watch this if dad is the one that takes them to church, he leads them, he takes them to church. Studies show 65% of those kids will stay connected to the church after they are out of high school. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You lead your family in honoring and trusting God, Dad. You teach that. I have yet to see a woman who wasn't thrilled if her man would be a spiritual leader in the home. No one has ever come into my office and said, I am so upset, my husband is a godly man, it just makes me mad. <laughs> you set the tone, you lead your family to the things of God, you say, we are a tithing family. Well, what's that mean, Dad? It means that God's smarter than we are. It means that he's got some things here that he says, if we do this, he's going to do this, this, and this. And you know what? He's pretty smart, and so because he's smarter than we are, we're going to trust him. Because that's what really this is. It's a trust issue. So I'm going to trust God because he's smarter than me, and he created everything anyway, and the scripture says he owns everything anyway. And by the way, he doesn't need anything we have, except our obedience and trust. And son, we're going to live under the blessing and the anointing of God in our family. Sweetie, we're going to believe that God is going to do more for us than we can see or imagine as we, as we trust him. You set the tone. You are the leader as, and you are the provider. Second is you lead as her protector. You lead as the protector of your children. That, that doesn't just mean if someone breaks in your house that you go up and beat them up, right? I mean, you, if somebody breaks in your house, go beat them up. Unless your wife can beat you up, in that case, just look at her and say, sick them, honey, sick them. right? It means that you protect her heart, you protect her emotions. It, it means that you love her with your faithfulness, that you have made vows and you're going to give her security by being faithful to those vows. It means you protect the children that she gave you and you love those children because I've yet to see a wife that loved her husband if he mistreated her children. You protect your family from the wrong kind of friends. Now this group right here is going to just really hate me right now, but we'll just act like they're not here, okay? Sorry, honey, you are not hanging out with her. Sweetums, you are not going anywhere with him. Nowhere. You're not even allowed to look at a picture of him anymore. We will know your passwords. We'll monitor what you see because we live in a world now where 24-7 there is an evil force that is coming against you to destroy your life. And the earlier it can get it, the the better they they come after you, the more they come after you. And we're going to protect you. We're going to protect your heart. Oh, I thought a mom or dad would at least say "Men, there. Well, I don't want to say I might hurt their feelings. Who cares? You're not supposed to be their best friend. You're supposed to be their mom and their dad. <laughs> and now the teens are going, I wish he'd get to that next point. See, you stand as the man of God in faith and you protect your family from the dangers and the temptations and the snares of this fallen world. Do we have any men in here who love their family enough to do that? The third one is you lead them as the pastor of your home. Now, what that means is it's, it means you set the spiritual tone for your home. In this household, we will serve God. In this household, we will believe in prayer. In this household, we will be active in church. In this household, we will not be passive toward the things of God. In this household, God's house and being in his house is a priority. And if we have kids, then we're involved in kids ministry. And we go to Pastor Shane who gives his life so that he can help train up the children in the way that they should go. And you know, I said help because he can't, he can't do in an hour what you're not doing the rest of the week. He's partnering with you. You want your teenager to be strong, you, you get them to Rooted. You get them to activities and put them around Christian teens. You, you put them in the environment as a spiritual leader. Why? Because we're going to partner with the church. We're going to say, we're going to come together. We're going to partner with you to lead our children to become fully devoted followers of God. In fact, if, if I could... Now I can't because, and you'll understand in a minute what I'm going to say, if I could, what I would do is even rather than preaching right now, I would be back there with Pastor Shane helping those kids. I would be with Trevor and tonight or whenever those kids, those teens meet, I would be there pouring into them saying, how can I help? How can I serve? Because for most of us, we are educated. We've already learned more in here than we'll ever be obedient to the rest of our lives. You, you don't need to know more. You just need to do more. <laughs> you need to apply it. And so I'd rather spend my time, I'm, you, you understand what I'm, I'm saying. I, I wish I could just invest and pour into those kids and those teenagers because I know that they, they are setting themselves up for the rest of their lives and I want to pour into them. We want to do. So this year, I'll just, we haven't even started our vision yet, but I will say this, that kids and our teens will be a top priority in this place because they are they are not only the future of our church, they are our church today, and we got to raise them up. See, your main job is to, this is all of us adults, your main job is to lead the next generation to serve God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's your main job. And so I'll just say to the men, it's time you step into it. Come on, step into it. You can do that. Now, controlling Jezebel says to her, honey, I'm going to go get you the vineyard sweetums. So she puts together this evil plan. I don't have time to go through the whole story, but she develops lies. She develops this awful scheme. She hires thugs. The thugs lie. And they, they attack and they murder this guy Naboth to get his vineyard. And I want you to notice this. Notice she has him murdered, but here's the question that I have for you. Who is it God holds responsible? She, she does this. She has Naboth murdered, but who does God hold responsible? Okay, listen to this, men, verse 15. As soon as Jezebel heard Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, watch how controlling, watch how demanding. Get up, loser. I did what you can't do. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive, but dead. Get up! You didn't do it, I didn't do it. Or I did it. You couldn't do it, I did it. And then it says in verse 16, when Ahab heard that he was dead, he got up and went down to take possession. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. You remember Elijah? Now this is a different message too, but Elijah had just defeated the prophets of Baal. He's killed actually it was like 850 total if you look at the whole picture, killed, destroyed these prophets of Baal and he's in great victory and all the enemy ran and the next day a woman says, I'm going to get you and he runs with his tail between his legs and he goes off into the desert and wants to die. And that's a picture of us and that's a picture of Satan. And then it says, this is what the Lord said to Ahab, have you, Not murdered a man and seized his property. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. In the place where your dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will now lick up your blood. Who had Naboth killed? Jezebel. Who did God hold responsible? Come on, men. It shows just how important your role is step into it, lead into it you're accountable for it you're not better you just have a different position your little boy is looking at you your little girl is looking at you and sees the things that are important and at some point you got to just make a decision that I'm going to be about the things of God or I'm not going to be about the things of God I'm not going to play games, I'm going to consecrate I'm going to sanctify my life to one purpose and that is fully committed to God I just want to give honor to, and I don't mean this in any other way, I think you'll understand. I want to give honor to my wife who for 40 years has helped make a weak man strong. Because I could not stand here today, I couldn't do what I do had I not had someone who believed in me and encouraged me and saw things in me and helped me become better through words and actions and then followed me all over the country and left our family so many times with broken hearts and so I just want to say thank you for loving me false and all for empowering me to be what I could not be on my own and what I want to say is uh, ladies I pray there are several of you here today many of you here today that maybe in this moment God would touch your heart and use you to make a man who has been by life and make him stronger gentlemen my prayer for you is that you would step up and lead your family and be a strong spiritual leader to where God wants you to be for the sake of your own soul but for the sake of your family because every day there is an enemy that comes to destroy you and destroy your kids and destroy your marriage would you bow your heads with me in fact would you just stand with me Heads bowed and eyes closed. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would drive this message into our hearts. You drive it in much deeper than we can. God, I don't have the words to say properly what you want to say, but I pray that you would release us today. I pray that you would free us today. I pray, as we sang earlier, that you would remind us in whatever we're going through, you're with us in the furnace give us the confidence to step into our god-given roles and there's many that aren't married here today god and so i want to pray for them I, i want to pause and pray that during this series you would build a strong foundation in their life that one day when they meet their two that they would be better prepared to serve you better prepared for a strong marriage the principles that your word gives us. And God, for marriages today, I would pray that you would do a healing thing as you did in the first service with some. I pray you would do a divine work in a way that only you could. Now, keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. They're gonna lead us in a song and we're gonna go into a time of prayer this morning. I'm gonna pray for us. Maybe many of you have a burden, have a care, have a sin, have a confession. This is a great place to do that. And I just want to say to the ladies, there are some of you that you would say, there are times that I can be harsh and I can be critical. My words. I was broken this morning when I prayed with somebody and they said, I am coming to repent and ask God to help me with my words because I was harsh to my husband and now he's dead and now he's gone. And all I can do is ask for grace and forgiveness to move forward. And we prayed a beautiful prayer together. Do we have any brave ladies that would just confess today and say, "God, I just want to—I just want to lay myself down, give my words to you, help me to be affirming in all of my relationships, gentlemen." Maybe you're successful in some things, but maybe you're not successful in the important things. You haven't led your family financially well maybe you're not spiritually protecting them or leading them but you want to, there's a desire in you even as I was speaking, in fact you want to be a better spiritual leader in your home, the desire of your heart is as for me in my house, we want to serve the Lord and I just wonder because this is the hard part for men are you willing to humble yourself to kneel, you know that's the hardest thing for a man to kneel down and say I need help God, I need help. I wonder how many men love their families enough that you'd be willing to kneel and pray for their family. Maybe some of you need salvation today. There are some that never have asked Christ. You come in here and you get entertained, but the reality is in the truth of your life, you have never asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and come into your life. And yet there is this, there is this something a longing in you. In fact, some of you, your heart's beating real fast right now. And I just want to tell you what that is. That's the Holy Spirit. And he's speaking to you and he's calling to you and he loves you and he's compelling you and I just want to invite you to come and maybe ask God to come into your life today. And the last one is maybe some of you have a deep burden today. You just want to lay it down. Maybe you want to be anointed some this morning. Um, I'll be down in the front here and if you want me to anoint you, you just come to me and I'll anoint you. Um, and just hear God's voice because scripture says come to me all you who I will give you rest. And So, Father, right now, as they lead us, as we sing, however you want us to respond, we're going to respond to you today, God, because if we just come and we just listen and that's about it, we've wasted our time. But we want to be obedient to you today, God. As they sing, if you'd like to come and pray, I want to invite you to come as we close in prayer.